All right, welcome back to the Quack On Podcast. In this episode, we'll just kind of be chatting about some of the developments that have happened with Oregon football over the last week. Uh, we've had Dan Lanning in place for about a week now, not officially, but the first big piece of news is that Oregon has an offensive coordinator, hired Kenny Dillingham from Florida State, has a connection with Dan Lanning. They were both at Memphis under Mike Norvell for a couple of years. So we'll just kind of chat about that real quick. You know, what are your guys' thoughts on uh, Kenny Dillingham to Oregon? So yeah, Dillingham uh, has apparently not been a full-time play caller. Um, certainly not at Florida State. Was not at Memphis. Sounds like maybe he was part of the time at Auburn, but um, Malzahn took over and called plays either most or a significant amount of the time, especially later in the season. So. That's the one probably question or concern with this hire. I think the, you know, everything I've read and heard is Florida State definitely wanted to keep him, fought to keep him, doesn't want to lose him. I think their their insiders and their fans seem pretty excited about the work he's done there. Um, as an OC, he's clearly a, a major part of the game planning. He's been with Norvell, uh, both at Memphis and Florida State. So I think that's a good sign that Nor- Norvell hired him back. He must think highly of him. So he's clearly, you know, of his tree. So we'll see what kind of wrinkles he adds to the Norvell offense as he comes here. Um, I think the the other exciting part of it is he's the quarterback coach. And I think he has some history potentially of developing some quarterbacks. He seems to be well thought of in that regard. And I think that's something that Oregon has been lacking um, under Mario over the last four years. I don't think our quarterback development or quarterback coaching has been really very good at all, to be honest. So there's an opportunity here to really step up the game. And we have three young quarterbacks in the stable. So there's an opportunity for him to really come in and maybe, uh, maybe help develop them a little more and, and see which one wins the job for next year. It's, it's an unknown. Um, I, I coached against him his very first year in coaching uh, when he was at Chaparral in Scottsdale. I, I was a crossover in Chandler. Um, he did ha- he did have a season at Chap where he, he did call the offense. Um, not sure how involved he was at Memphis and Florida State. Obviously, Mike is a really good offensive play caller. Uh, he's always been good. Florida State's kind of struggled, but I think that's more of a, a, a talent issue than coaching right now. Um, did happen to meet him when he was at Memphis. He came in, he was recruiting a couple of our guys. Uh, none of them ended up signing there, but did get to interact with him. Uh, pretty sharp guy from, from what I know. Didn't meet him when he was much younger and he was, he was at the high school level. But you have to like what Norvell runs. I mean, that's always been pretty successful. I, knowing Alzon and how that program ran at Auburn, the way that offense works, I'm fairly certain he didn't have that much control of it, and that's just a Gus thing. Uh, Gus's substitution packages kind of work on what play they're going to call, so it's really, really detail-oriented on who needs to be on and off the field and when they're going to do that, and that's why, you know, he, I, from what I've heard is he had a pretty small hand in it, and then they lost to Florida and had a bye week, and then Gus just completely took back over, but that's just who he is. I don't think that's any sort of good or bad on Dillingham in any way. Um, but like the head coaching hire we just made, huge gamble. There's not a lot of not a lot of experience overall, and then no experience in the job he's about to step into. So 
it's one of those things where, you know, the ceiling's as high as you want it to be because it's basically make-believe. But, you know, the floor can be incredibly low too. So um, a lot of this thing, a lot of our hires, I think, are going to be based on hope more than, you know, the reality of their careers. So I don't think it's a bad hire. Um, I don't think it's a great hire. We just don't know. So um, you have to be happy with the people he's worked under. You know, like I said, Norvell's been great. Malzahn's been great in stretches. And so hopefully he can bring that to Eugene. He seems to be pretty well thought of, you know, kind of an up and comer. I think he's on a lot of those like, you know, 35 under 35 lists. I think he's eight. He think he's 31 years old. It seems like he would have gotten chased for several offensive coordinator jobs this year if he didn't get ours. So I think the other thing that is worth mentioning is he's apparently a pretty high level recruiter. Uh, he was a, a major part of recruiting most of the offensive players that Florida State's been going after the last couple of years. So it seems like um, Dan Lanning wants to wants to really stack his staff with recruiters. And this might be another guy in that mold. But you're right. There's there's a there's a risk factor or an unknown factor. I mean, it's it, it's interesting because you're you're taking a guy from the Norvell tree, which is you know, at Memphis you can argue is one of the most successful offenses of the last few years in terms of what they did. Always put up great passing numbers. They put a bunch of running backs in the league too. But it, that's the problem with this though is that he's his own person, and even if he's from the Norvell tree or the Malzahn tree, he might not run things like those guys do. So you don't know what he's gonna do. Like Moss was saying, it just comes back to the head coaching hire. It's a complete unknown. I think there's little points that, you know, show there could be positivity, show that there's potential, but we just don't know. And I don't think that's a negative, and I don't think it's a positive. It's just an unknown. If this is your guy and you think he's going to be successful, I mean, it's very clear that this was Lanning's guy 100% all the way. This was who he was going to hire as his offensive coordinator. So I don't even think there's really much discussion to be had about who else could he have brought in. This was who he was going to bring in regardless if he started leading a program. So then the other hire was Matt Powledge as a co-defensive coordinator who apparently will also coach safeties. Last year he was Baylor's safety coach um, and special teams coordinator, a position he had for two years. Uh, Baylor's safeties were very, very good this last year. Um, and I thought it was interesting when we hired him that we're taking a guy from the Aranda tree now and combining him with someone who has ran stuff from the Saban and Smart tree. Moss, what are your thoughts on that hire? Well, we don't know what he's doing at Oregon yet. Uh, if you look at his history, uh, it seems like he's done a great job on special teams, which, my goodness, is something Oregon needs a shot in the arm with. And his safeties have played well, especially this year. I don't know if that's a part of the system or it's just he's a great coach, but they were great this year. And that's 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 really all you can judge a coach on is that how good your last outing was. So safeties were good. Seems like special teams have always been really good under him. What impact he has at Oregon, I don't know. Uh, that co-DC thing can mean a lot of things. Uh, it can mean he's the guy that's going to call the defense, or it could mean he just got that title to get paid a little bit more money and he's just going to be our safeties coach. So I don't know if we keep him in that special teams role, which I hope we would, uh, I would expect our special teams to get a little bit better, especially the return game and the safeties, they just need to get better anyway. So if he goes into that, hopefully he has a, a very positive impact there too. 
Yeah, so I think the assumption is he'll be coaching safeties as his position. But what was interesting is in the Oregon official press release and in Dan Lanning's comments, it never actually specified that. It just said, you know, co-DC. So I don't know if they're if they're keeping it open, depending on, you know, for some positional flexibility, depending on the other hires they made. I think he has, he has coached linebackers as well in the past. Um, but regardless, I think, you know, he'll be co-DC. And like you said, what level of, of input he has into the actual defense is, is – to, to be determined based on the, the defensive coordinator hire. I think, obviously, you got to get excited about his his work on special teams over the last several years. He's he's had some really elite special teams units, uh, and I think, as we all know, that's a point uh, where Oregon has really been poor throughout Mario's time here. But I, I'd actually even say prior to Mario's time, we have, I don't feel like we've had really high-level special teams and quite a long time you know maybe maybe chip era even even during helfrich i think they started falling off pretty well um so that's exciting and and even if he's not the full-time special teams coordinator which we don't know if he will or won't be but even if he isn't you you would imagine he would be able to to exert some input on that role and hopefully uh get our special teams improved significantly you know, seems like he's got a kind of another young guy, but he's probably got a little more proven track record, at least as a position coach. You know, that the, the position he's been hired for than than Dillingham does. So I think that uh, I'm really excited about this hire. I think it's another another kind of young, exciting guy. Uh, has a lot of bona fides. Has a lot of good track record behind him, both at safety and special teams. So good get. Yeah, I was just reading the the press release and it is interesting that they don't say what he's going to they're just saying he's the co-defensive coordinator which is interesting when you don't even have a defensive coordinator in place yet so we'll see i mean he my guess is they that's probably just you know like was said probably just you know titled to get him over here from baylor i would assume if you're you have a a big background in special teams coordinator you're probably going to be involved in that too who knows? I, I think, you know, also special teams coordinators, there doesn't seem to be a lot of upward movement with them that I've noticed. I mean, I think Shane Beamer was a special teams coordinator for a long time and then got a head coaching job, but that's obviously because his dad is Frank Beamer. So I would guess they just, that's just kind of shedding one title, getting a better one, and then probably coaching safeties. I can't see if he was a linebackers coach. He was an outside linebackers coach in Louisiana um, and then was a running backs coach back at uh, Sam Houston State, which is where he met Lanning. Interesting hire. Seems like a good coach. Um, seems to have had success everywhere he's gone. So arguably the biggest hire, though, was hiring a new chief of staff, Marshall Malchow. I think I'm saying that name right. Um, he was a... Hired as, as the chief of staff, he was an associate athletic director, I believe, at Texas A&M. What are your guys' thoughts on on that hire? Well, this is a massive, massive hire. Um, clearly, an emphasis for Lanning is recruiting, right? We're seeing it in the coaching hires. This is clearly uh, another nod in that direction. Uh, at Texas A&M, I mean, they just signed the number one class in the country. They've been recruiting at a very high level. I think his previous stops before that, he also, I think at Georgia, got uh, a number one recruiting class there. And obviously he's not the only guy doing that, but he's the the 
driving a lot of the background behind behind all that recruiting effort. And I think one of the things that Oregon has really struggled with in the Mario regime is we've had a ton of turnover in the recruiting staff and particularly in the head of the recruiting department. I think I think we've had a different person in that role all four years that Mario's been the head coach, which has got to be a real challenge for, you know, kind of recruiting continuity and building up, you know, that base. It's almost like you got to hit reset every year and and that's a, a struggle. So Having someone like Mao Chow in who's absolutely one of the best at what he does. I think he was ranked number two in a, in a recent um, survey of, of these kind of people, these kind of behind the scenes people in college football. So, and be able to get him away from a place like Texas A&M. I mean, what a coup, what a, what a huge coup. So this actually could be just a monumental hire. And, and if he can really just run all of the operations behind the scenes, recruiting, um, strength, you know, strength and conditioning, nutrition, you know, all of that behind the scenes stuff. We don't really think about equipment, all those things, you know, he can really just own that and really set up good organizational um, hierarchy and processes there. And, and obviously recruiting being the emphasis. So I'm thrilled, thrilled with this one. I heard Nick Saban say a long time ago when I was at a, a clinic, he said, whatever you do is a head coach, whatever you devote to football you better have somebody working for you to devote all that time to admin that you're away. And so that's why I think this kind of a hire is huge. I, I know Mario had been kicking around hiring a chief of staff, and I think he had one lined up from the NFL. Name escapes me, but it seemed like it would have been a great hire. It didn't work out. And so for someone like Landing, who you would expect to be a little more involved with the football side of it, to have somebody to run this, you know, make hires, interview, you know, I mean, as a head coach, do you really spend that much time on, on your number three recruiting analyst? Probably not. But if you have somebody to do that role for you where that's their job, they're probably going to make a lot better hire and things like that. And that goes to every position. So um, overall, I, I think this is huge. Honestly, to me, this is the best hire he's made so far. And this could have a massive impact on the program. And also, I, I think you're going to see them fighting for a little more salary. I, I know Mario built up the, the staff behind the scenes a lot compared to where Oregon was before that, but the salary wasn't very good, which is something they've got to work on as a program, which I think this hire could help in that as well. But overall, right now, I, I think this is by and large the best move that Dan Lanning's made so far. Yeah, and I, I know there's a couple – more hires that are potentially out there and some rumors are out there and it sounds like more recruiters. So that's clearly a focus. Well, I mean, speaking of those rumors, you know, Cox LePoy's name has come up again. Um, it seems like it's every single year over the last three years we'd be talking about, oh, Tosh LePoy, you know, he, he knows Mario. He's going to come to Oregon. You know, Moss, what's, what's your thought on, on that rumor and, and Tosh LePoy? Because um, that dude, is a, he's a kick-ass recruiter. So Tosh has kind of been Oregon's football's white whale, I, I think, for a long time. So it was, it was under Jeff Tedford a long, long time ago when Tedford was at Cal. And Cal started recruiting like crazy out of nowhere. And Cal is just a bad program. I mean, we don't need to get into that. But before that, nobody that was serious about football went to Cal. And they just started going there out of nowhere. And it was, what is happening? And so it was Tosh, Tosh LePoy, right? He's playing Xbox Live with recruits. Just blew everybody's mind. 
Uh, and then you fast forward his career. He's been all over the place. I'm pretty sure we were trying to get him when he originally went to Sark staff at Washington. Obviously, he did a great job recruiting there. And then he went to Alabama, and it was like, well, okay, we're never getting him again. And hell of a recruiter in Tuscaloosa. Nick Saban had a lot of faith in him. Let him run the defense. I'm just going to tell you, he did a really bad job running their defense. It was just maybe he's gotten better. That it just was not his wheelhouse. And you're talking about one of the most successful systems ever in college football for defense. And basically, they groomed him for three or four years for that job. Kind of failed miserably. Got the responsibilities taken away from him in the middle of the year, and then was basically asked to move on at the end of the season. So he goes to the NFL. Seemed like that was unrealistic to pull him away from the NFL. I know Mario took a run at him. It didn't work out. Here we are. Supposedly, we're supposed to get him this time. I've been hearing this for, what are we coming on, over a decade now. So um, I hope, you know, I've wanted him since, you know, the late 2000s. So I'm not 100% sure I want him in charge of the defense, but I think he's going to be, he's going to have a lot of oversight if he is, if he does become the play caller. But his recruiting, if he still is bought in as a 40-year-old, as he won, as he was when he was 30, I think that will be absolutely massive for Oregon football. I mean, this guy, when he's full tilt, there's no recruiter better. And there probably hasn't been one better in the last 20 years. And that includes Mario Cristobal. So I desperately hope we get him finally. So, But we'll see. I'm optimistic, but I'm still skeptical. So we'll see. So... Funny thing with me about Tosh, obviously, yeah, we've been talking about this guy forever. I have honestly, I have no idea what he looks like. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of him. If he showed me it one, I would, I wouldn't know that was him. Probably, he looks it's like a human funny. thumb. He's a, what he's that? a stout, he's a stout little dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I won't add much more than what Ma said. Obviously, you know, his recruiting reputation is legendary. I think, you know, if he comes in as defensive coordinator, the question is, is he, is he calling plays? Is Lanning calling plays? You know, I assume Lanning's going to be heavily involved one way or the other. So, you know, there's a little bit of a, of an opportunity there to not, you're not just saying here's come in and build us a defense. So um, there's, you know, that's maybe a little, a little less risky than it would be at, at a different type of program. Or like if he had come in under Mario and been given the defensive coordinator role, it would be, install your own system uh you know tosh and and that would probably not have been uh that would have been much more risky so for the recruiting obviously you gotta love it yeah i mean in terms of a recruiting hire i don't think there's a better position coach hire you can make than tosh lapoy i mean his his all-time commit list is stands out it's insane there's it's just littered with five stars and four stars, um, you know, and, and guys that he was getting to Cal and UW, not just Alabama. You know, it's not just, you know, a couple guys that, you know, he got that Bama, they were always going to Bama. You know, he got guys like Najee Harris and, and, and Tua uh, Tungalailoa from the West Coast, pulled them to Bama. Um, and that was something that it, I'd have to have my memory refreshed, but didn't seem like Bama was doing a ton of. They got guys from the West Coast. But they didn't seem to, to to do it as often as they do now, for example. So, it, again, like you guys have said, having him run the defense, that's a question mark. The good thing, I suppose, is that if you're an NFL position coach, which he's been for the last three years for three different teams, that does mean that you, you don't recruit. So that does say something about you as a coach. But running a defense is obviously a different beast. So 
we'll have to see there. But if if we had a Mario Cristobal at the helm, someone who doesn't really have their fingers, you know, in the defensive pie, I would be more worried about it. But Dan Lanning's going to come in and have a very clear expectation of what he wants defensively. But then that could also be just me trying to convince myself that, you know, Tosh would be fine under Lanning. He wasn't fine under Saban, and Saban's probably the best defensive coach in college football, maybe ever. So we'll just have to see. But again, even if he is here for two, three years, he doesn't do a great job as a play caller and moves on, you're going to have so much stinking talent for the next guy to work with. It's almost worth it in that aspect, I hope. So we'll see if he even signs on. Like Moss is saying, it's been, he's been rumored to Oregon for forever, it seems. You know, we can always cross our fingers and hope. We did have early signing day on Wednesday, and it was not a very eventful day. I basically didn't even treat it like early signing day. I just went around bound on the business, and anyone that we signed was a thumbs up. What do you guys think about the, the class that we signed, the seven guys that we signed, you know, kind of where we go from here? Yeah, so let, let's walk through that real quick. Um, I think obviously when, when Mario left and, you know, you hired Dan Lanning late before, you know, and he couldn't, couldn't make any visits or have anyone come in, the expectation was obviously you're not going to sign a, a lot of guys. Um, I actually think we ended up doing better than expected on, in the early signing period. We got we had four that we were expecting to sign, you know, Sir Mel's at defensive line, Michael Wooten at tackle, um, Harrison Taggart and Devin Jackson at linebacker. I think everyone was kind of expecting them to sign as we as we approached Wednesday, and they all did. And then um, we got a couple that maybe weren't expected. Um, ben Roberts, the the other big defensive lineman out of Utah, he took a late visit to Nebraska over the weekend and. Seemed to be momentum heading toward a flip to Nebraska and potentially signing with with them in the early signing period. But he ended up sticking um, to his commitment to Oregon, and he actually signed his letter of intent as well. That was a little bit of a nice uh, coup by Lanning to get that one over the goal line. And then um, even a bigger coup in my mind was Jaleel Tucker. So here's the corner out of San Diego who had not decommitted like his like his um, teammate Jaleel Florence. But, uh, you know, and said he was still still good with Oregon. But he did say, I think 24 hours or less before signing day, he, he was on the record saying he's not going to sign anywhere and he's going to push it, you know, push it into the, uh, you know, into January and February and maybe take some visits. And, and he ended up signing with Oregon um, after all on, on the first day and sent that in. And so he's locked in as well, which, again, I think is another another home run by landing to get that one over the goal line in such a short amount of time. And then we had a flip um, to us, which was kind of, I, I think there was some, some rumors of this kind of brewing uh, leading up to signing day, but Anthony Jones out of Nevada, um, kind of a jumbo athlete, kind of an outside linebacker, edge rusher kind of player. I think he was committed to Texas, if I believe. Um, may have got pushed out there, don't know, but um, not only did we get him to flip late to us on signing day, but he also did sign and, and send that in. So. Um, I won't talk about any of them. I'll let Moss kind of touch on them individually, but those are the seven that we signed. Um, I think, you know, the, obviously the big loss, which went late into Friday night was, um, Tataroa McMillan, who was a longtime commit. Um, it, it, when we originally landed him, it was a really close battle between us and Arizona of all places. He has several teammates from his high school team who are going to Arizona and they've been pressuring him all along, um, 
to go there with him. And he almost committed to them back in August when he committed to Oregon, but but didn't. And then he held on to his Oregon pledge for a long time. I think there was there was a, a late ditch effort. Uh, I think he was going to flip to Arizona. There was a late ditch effort by Lanning to get him to hold off and just not sign anywhere. And, and it seemed to have worked for a while. But um, at the end of the day, I think he sent in his papers a couple hours before the deadline on Friday night, and he will be a wildcat. So he was our highest ranked uh, commit in the class, obviously near five star. Um, kind of a big loss for our class, big, big grab for Arizona. Um, so he will not be a duck. We got a couple more commits that haven't signed. Dave Iuli, Trajan Williams out of Portland, Grayson Halton, Stephen Johnson out of Texas. Uh, haven't really heard a lot about Stephen Johnson. His dad is very active on Duck Twitter. Uh, he's he's you know they're taking their time, but he you know don't know where that's at. Halton's visiting some other schools, including Miami, in January. I'm not sure where Iuli is. I think Williams is going to take some visits as well. And then uh, going back to Jaleel Florence, also taking some visits to Miami and as well as some others. So that's, to me, the guy I think out of anyone else left on our board, that's the one we need to get back if we can. So, Moss. Yeah, you hit on a ton of it. I, I think coming into this year, just both NFL and college, you need to be good at quarterback, tackle, wide receiver, and corner. Like you need to be really good at those four positions. And I've been claim- I've been complaining about our wide receiver group for years now, but we signed that great class. They're all freshmen. You know, you got Franklin Brevard and Thornton, and it looked like we were going to get a second year of that. And so that basically completely fallen apart. You know, Anderson, he took off a little bit earlier, but it still looked like we were going to get get McMillan, which is one of the better recruits wide receiver wise out West in a long time. He, he just looks great on film. Crazy good athlete. Uh, Johnson's still in the mix and I, I do hope we get him. And then it seemed like we were going to take someone from Oregon or at least t- take a, another wide receiver, but losing out on that so far, I think is a huge blow to the program. I, I don't think losing Bailey at quarterback was that big of a deal. Uh, maybe he turns out really good. Just personally, I, I don't think that was that big of a hit. Uh, losing the two tackles, Banks and Williams, was massive. When you look at what we lost Jonah T and then Kingsley, I'm not going to try to butcher their last names, but you've got two five-star tackles that take off in consecutive years, and it looked like we got two really good ones coming in. So to lose those two uh, kind of at the last minute, I, I think that was, that was huge um, as well. Awesome, awesome deal. We got one of the Jalils. It seemed like they were a package deal all year um, and haven't hired a defensive head coach. We got Tucker. I really think we end up getting Florence out of this too. Um, so not too worried about that. I think that's great. We needed linebackers. We got two of them. Um, I really wish, I believe his last name was Buckner but out of Alabama. I wish, I really hope we get a chance to get him back. Um, TJ Dudley. Dudley, excuse me. Yeah. It's too many names. I'm getting old. But I really, really hope we get Dudley back in. I think all the guys that are still sort of on board, all the defensive ones, so that's uh, Iuli, which I think is going to be a really good zero-tech type, type guy. Trajan Williams being out of Oregon, I'm fairly certain we'll end up getting him back. And it'd be nice to get Halton back, too, on the D-line. So um, we knew it was going to be a disaster. Nobody's going to refute that. Um I only thought we'd sign five, but we ended up with seven, and it looks like we could still probably get five or six more. 
uh, of the original group that we wanted. So not terrible. Uh, obviously, we need to have a really good class next year, and we need to hit the portal pretty hard. And we really, really need a quarterback. I, I know we've got the two young guys coming up, but I still think we need to do really well out of spring in the portal with a quarterback. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, there's no prep quarterbacks really left of note, so I, I wouldn't probably go after one of those. So, yeah, you're right. We might have to fill in with a portal. The, it, the pickings are pretty slim right now, but you got to expect there'll probably be some more guys that will, will get in there, uh, whether that's over the holiday break or even after spring ball. So we'll see what develops there. Yeah, of the top 50 quarterbacks available for 2022 on 247, uh, there are three that are uncommitted. I believe. And one of them is Tanner Bailey and the other two are three stars. So you're probably not getting a good prep quarterback this year. And that's just how it is, I suppose. Speaking of the portal, um, Jason Jones and DJ James entered the portal over the last week. Um, we've also had a bunch of players declare for the draft. Um, they will not be playing in the bowl game. So uh, Moss, what are your thoughts on those losses? DJ James has played well. Um, he's he's from Alabama, so I, I hope he comes back. I've, I've heard rumors down here that he's going to end up at Auburn, so I, I don't think we get him back. But we desperately need Jason Jones back. That's not a human being that exists out west. Um, we kind of lucked into him. He was a five-star recruit. He was committed to Bama, gained a bunch of bad weight and then lost all of it before he even got to Eugene and was really starting to progress. So we just, we don't have anybody to replace him. So we really, really need to get him back. Um, right, just hitting the, hitting the draft, he just declared a little bit earlier today. It means we really need to get Florence. Um, the others, not really surprising. We knew Thibodeau was gonna leave, right? No, no shock there. You don't replace a guy like that. I mean, they come along, even if you're in Alabama, they, they don't come along very often. So we're not going to replace him. we got to figure out a way to get pressure without just pinning one guy's ear back and letting him go. Um, Sala took off, played pretty well for us. I think he played out of position a lot, having to be at right tackle. I think we're going to be okay on the offensive line. Devin Williams taken off. Again, that wide receiver group, it's always something in my mind and it's always something I'm complaining about. We finally had a legit NFL wide receiver. We barely played him and we played a bunch of low ceiling guys that had been around forever. And it's just, it's infuriating me. We hardly got anything out of a kid with that much talent. And I know there's a lot of reasons behind the scene that fans don't really care about. And I understand that you wanna have continuity in certain things with your roster. But just watching the plays that kid made and then watching him sit on the sideline for so many long stretches, just infuriating to me. So, um, yeah, it, I, honestly, now that I'm looking back at, at all the stuff under Cristobal, I think a little amount we played Devin Williams was probably the biggest blunder of his whole coaching tenure at Oregon. So um, we're not going to replace Devin, I don't think, either. I think Franklin's going to be very good but we had both of them on the roster at the same time. So I, I, I don't see us replacing Devin in any way coming up for next year either, but we're going to have to figure something out. So that's on, that's on coach Dillingham now. So hopefully he gets that squared away. Yeah, I think, I think Devin's a big loss. Um, I think 
the other one is, you know, you would have liked to have keep one of the two starting corners, right? I mean, if you figure Wright goes to the draft and you keep DJ or, you know, DJ transfers and you keep Wright. Losing both of them, and we've got some we've got some young talent at that position, but man, it's a lot of inexperienced players that really haven't put in any reps uh, or very many. So, I mean, you you got Manning and, and Triquez who who've played a fair amount this past year, and then you just got a lot of really young young guys behind them, true freshmen. Um, then maybe they'll be good, but you know you you know you know what they say about corners. It usually takes it usually takes a season of getting beat up on a little bit, and then the second year is when you really turn it on. Um, tackle, you know, I, I think we are set for the foreseeable future at the interior offensive line, guards and centers. We've got them stacked for days. Um, tackles are a little more concerning. So losing Sala, you know, is a blow there, especially, you know, with the, the two recruits that we didn't land, you know, kind of doubling that problem, at least in the next couple of years. And then, um, you know, TJ Bass, we haven't talked about them. He's hinted that he still hasn't decided whether he might go pro or come back. So that could be a, he was in my mind, also playing out of position at tackle, but doing so at a at a reasonably high level, um, and someone that you could plug in there at tackle next year if if some of the younger guys aren't ready to play. And if he goes pro, then that's another guy down that that can play that position. So uh, I'm kind of looking at this as it feels like this coaching change, and then the the subsequent kind of roster shakeout that's happening because of it. You know, guys going pro that maybe would have stuck around another year if it, in, under the old coaching staff or you know, not landing certain recruits or guys hitting the portal now with the coaching change. It feels to me like it's really resetting our timeline back at least a year. Like, I think like we were ready and primed to kind of really make a run next year. Feels like we're probably going to have too many holes and too many unknowns still. And so now I think 23 is the year where maybe we make the run. Now, obviously that a lot has to happen for that to happen, right? The coaches have to actually come in and coach the, the way we expect them to. The roster has to develop. We've got to we got to land a really good twenty three class. We got to fill some holes in the portal this off season. Maybe even in the February signing day, we get some good prep kids that are still unsigned. Uh, but that's that's kind of my takeaway of all of this roster turnover is we probably we probably added a gear to our timeline, and you know it is it is what it is as they say. I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree on moving the timeline, I, right? You look at quarterback, everybody's expecting Ty or, or Butterfield to start. So we're right on, we're right on schedule there. Hardwell's playing really well. Everybody's excited about that. It looks like Dye's probably going to come back again. I, we, we had all kind of hinted on Devin maybe leaving around midseason because we know the skill set with the lack of use. I mean, it's not like his stock was raising. Um, we knew we knew Red was gone. We knew Johnson was gone. We knew Franklin and Thornton and those guys were going to be coming in. We knew the tight ends were talented. We knew there'd be a little shakeup on the line. Defensively, we knew Tibbs was going to be gone no matter what. We were expecting Wright to be gone. Losing DJ James is not great, but I, that, I don't think that's enough to set your timeline back a year. We might lose McKinley. I, I really don't think once you have an All-American season and you lead the country in interceptions – really don't know what else you can do in college to, to raise your stock. There's always a couple people that declare that you weren't really expecting to have a breakout season. So I don't think we've lost enough. Just from if, if next year was going to be good anyway, I don't think the coaching change and losing some recruits was enough to move that timeline. It, it might mess things up a few years from now, but I still think we're right on track or where we need to be, which at a minimum, we better win the Pac-12 next year.
like at an absolute minimum. There's way too much roster talent to not win this conference because it's going to be just as bad in 22. Yeah, let me, let me clarify a little bit. What I meant by that resetting the timeline is I meant the playoff run timeline. I thought the team was probably primed. In fact, we should have made the playoffs this year, and I thought we were primed to make a run in 22. But I now I think you know that's probably pushed out a year to 23. I think between the roster and coaching turnover, and you know, also quite frankly, we have a pretty tough schedule next year. Uh, playing Georgia at Athens or Georgia at Atlanta open the year, and then we got BYU at home, and that's not going to be an easy one. So I just think, I, I agree, we should definitely win the North, and we should be one of, if not the favorite, to win the Pac-12. And I think, you know, we should be right in that 10-2 and two range again, maybe 9-3 and three if we if we drop a second out of conference game, but still contending for the conference. I absolutely agree. I just, I meant more on the playoff timeline is probably pushed out a year. I'm kind of with both of you. You know, I don't, it's going to be hard to say, you should absolutely win the conference in 2022 while USC is still down to an extent. But it's still a question mark because we don't know what Lanny's going to do. He's going to be learning on the job. Thankfully, he's going to be learning with a pretty talented roster. Um, but I think outside of really Sala and James, I'm not really surprised by the guys that are leaving. Devin Williams, it just he kind of felt like one of those guys that would leave. Just He'd just go take a, a, a paycheck. Um, even if coming back would have benefited him and he could have maybe played himself into the you know, first or second round, you know, based on measurables alone, he was always getting drafted. So th- that's it, it's, it sucks losing him, but it's not one that I wasn't expecting. We'll just kind of have to see. And, you know, there's, there's some interesting holes on the roster, um, and it's going to be interesting to see if Lanning hits the portal hard. He should. And that's one thing that I don't think Mario Cristobal did very well was didn't really utilize the transfer portal maybe as much as he could have. We would always, it seemed like, we'd get one or two graduate transfers and they wouldn't perform super well. High floor type of guys. With the, the changes to the rules in terms of eligibility, there's a lot of you know incentive to go out and get guys that can help you win now. And so I hope Landing does that. We'll see if he does. There's, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how they fill out this recruiting class is going to be prep guys, going to be transfers. What do you do? And that, that should tell us a lot about Lanning's approach over the next few years um, in terms of what he believes. We'll work on recording a, a bull, bull preview here in the next week or so. Obviously, Christmas is next, next week, um, so we probably yeah. won't record next weekend. So in that case, you know, if we don't, Speak again. Merry Christmas to everyone who listens. Um, Hope you guys have a great holiday season. And we'll catch you next time. Go Ducks. Go Ducks.